0: This is effectively a rumination for the whole game, but this is prompted by us having played through the DLC and, as such, having finally finished the game. (sighs) Where do I want to begin? I think the first thing I want to talk about is the story, which I know is a weird place to start, but hear me out for a second. Because, on the one hand, the story was good. Just waiting to let people, you know... Fling tomatoes or do whatever they're going to do. Because there was this just kind of general wholesomeness about it. There was no evil villain. Spoilers, obviously. There's no evil villain. There's no mad team of death, doom, and we're going to rewrite reality, and we're going to destroy, we're going to conquer the entire universe, and we're going to do all that. I mean, those things can work, and those things are fine, especially when they're done properly. See black and white, for an example, that. But here, the evil team was just a bunch of hooligans who were enthusiastic. And the evil villain was just a guy who ultimately was trying to help the whole situation. He was just a little bit too impatient. It was so wonderfully wholesome, and I actually embraced that fully. Now, every Pokémon game being like this would probably get old. But it was a nice change of pace from, I'd say, pretty much from Gen 3 onwards. Because from Gen 3 onwards, we always had some evil dude and some evil team and some evil thing and the end of the world. And it's nice to have a break from that every now and again, you know? There's also a lot of weirdly good world-building in this one, which is something Pokemon usually doesn't do well. There's a lot of uh, adverts, and and uh, god, like there's a celebrity thing, and there's people with their culture and their background. And the, the entire focus is on this league, and you're like, well, the Pokemon games have always focused on the league. But no, it's an actual league. It's a football tournament or soccer, if you prefer. It's 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 a whole thing where they've got sponsors and they've got you know ad space which they sell on their uniforms and outfits and they go to brand you know they go to certain brands and plug those brands and they've got the stadiums which sell tickets and they just the whole thing was I, I, as I was playing through the game I was like oh my god this is what this is, should have been like since Gen One but obviously you can't do that on the Game Boy but. I feel like this is the perfect direction to move the Pokémon League concept into, is to make it an actual sports league, which, I mean, we could argue this, but I don't think they've ever really done that before. Certainly not to this extent. And so it was awesome with it, and there's some cool characters, which I'm not going to write down the names of, although Peony is amazing, just saying. So is Avery. I know they're DLC characters, but they're still awesome. And then the story is crap. Because this, <laughs> because on the one hand, the dialogue is badly written, is the nicest way I could put that. Now, P- Pokemon Black and White had this exact same problem. Both games have a extensive uh, empty text problem, where there's huge chunks of dialogue where they're not actually saying anything. You know, there's blah, 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 but no information is being conveyed. And they have a problem with repetition where they just its like, hey, we should go here. Oh, we should go here. Oh, we should go here. In some cases, it gets really extreme. Now, this is something of a Pokemon staple, as is obvious, since I just mentioned it from Pokemon Black and White. But it is still a problem, and it is still a huge one. There's also a lot of stupidity, for lack of a better way to put it, in the story. It feels almost cartoonish in terms of its plot, if you could even call it that. And there's too many elements where I'm just like, really? This is where you're going at? So, good characters in world building, bad plot, and uh, bad dialogue. And that is Pokemon Sword and Shield in a nutshell. One of the things, I'm going to digress for a moment here while I stretch my back out because my back hurts, is the fact that too many people seem to think in terms of binary when it comes to video games or movies and shows, but video games especially. Um, just a few days ago, someone was like, what's, what's your favorite Final Fantasies in order? And I was like, well, I can't answer that. And I can't. And they're like, but it's such a simple question. But it's not. Which my favorite Final Fantasies are in order of story versus which my final, favorite Final Fantasies are in terms of gameplay are completely different lists. And they, th- it changes the dynamic substantially. And then you say, well, just take both into account. Well, at that point, I mean, that's just a judgment call, isn't it? And honestly, when it comes to a favorite, gameplay is probably going to trump out story. I know it sounds weird coming from me, but it's true. Because good gameplay makes you want to replay the game, whereas good story gives you good reason to replay the game. I know that sounds like the same thing, but I I imagine some of you understand what I mean by that, right? Anyways, all of this is just trying to get across the point that it's more complicated than just good or bad, right? Right. You can't just do this or this. It, it, that's way too dismissive. This is one of the reasons I use the system I do when it comes to reviewing. Games like Pokemon Shield, we've encountered several of these, but games like Pokemon Sword and Shield are games that have quite a few positives and quite a few negatives side by side. So if you ask me, is the story any good, I would say yes and no, or more accurately, yes in these parts and no in these parts. And it's the same thing with the gameplay side of things. To once again, directly compare this game to Black and White 1. Black and White 1 was beautifully designed, and I gushed about that. I loved the encounters, I loved the gems, I loved the specific mons and how they interact with each other. And the, the tactics and strategy involved was phenomenal, brilliantly designed. But the gameplay sucked. Now, let me try to explain this a little bit. Because Pokemon Black and White, almost all of its gameplay negatives, and it had quite a few. We're all down to the same basic problems, it being an older game that hadn't really decided to modernize in terms of features, most notably quality of life features. Um, there's two big general categories for that. One is there's simply too many things that weren't, a, weren't present yet, like HMs being mandatory is one example of that. Um, another is the seconds in minutes problem. Now I've tried to come, I've, I keep trying to come up with another way to phrase that, but seconds in minutes is the best I've come up with. Let me explain what I mean by that. Let's say you're playing a uh, like like a a, a loot 'em up right, it, it, a game. It doesn't matter the type. A game where the whole point is to loot lots. You know, you're getting tons and tons of stuff constantly. Okay, with me? Now let's imo- imagine for a moment that as you're playing that game, the act of looting takes a solid second, as in just okay, and then okay, and then you loot like this, right? This is the seconds and minutes concept in a nutshell. Every minute has several seconds which are pure padding which turn it from a minute into more like five minutes or three minutes or whatever depending on the specific amount of padding. This usual, In gameplay it's almost always about animations or how long certain actions take but this is also a, a narrative thing too. There are plenty of cases where this will happen with regards to television shows or movies where they pad out the runtime by inserting extra long shots or cutting away a little bit later. I've talked about this in some of my Star Trek videos as well and trying to just stretch that run time a little bit. So, Pokemon Black and White had the seconds and minutes problem everywhere, just like most of the old ones do. For an example of that, just think about what it takes to use Surf. Okay, you go up to the thing, you stop, you probably go boom, because you bump into it, you go up to the water, you hit A, in, in the more modern generations, the older generations, you had to do this manually, but in the, you hit A, it looks like the water is still. You could probably use Surf here. Would you like to use Surf here? yes, animation, such and such, you surfed, and now you're on the thing. That is the seconds and minutes problem right there. Because every single, well, not every single, but almost every single action just takes a little bit longer than it should. And it's all small amounts, like a second, like I mentioned earlier, or less than a second. But the reason that's so, so significant is that adds up tremendously. That's why I made the, the, con- the comparison of a game in which you are looting constantly. Because if you have to spend a second on every single piece of loot, this is going to get aggravating after a while. Now, you might just get used to it, because that's what we usually do when it comes to these games, right? Net positive means that we put up with it, we put up with the bads, because there are goods that make it make it worthwhile. But the reason I'm bringing all of this stuff up is because that stuff, the seconds and minutes problem, the interface problem, the, d- the the design of how you can see what inside the game, all of that is better... Almost universally, with only a couple of exceptions in Pokemon Sword and Shield, this game might be the smoothest Pokemon game I've ever played. And it's just a treat to play, because none of that delay is there. Well, very, very little. Excuse me, there are a couple exceptions still. But most of that delay is gone. Most of those other little side things are gone. Most of the actual aggravation, gone. It's just smooth. And... You could see why I'm having trouble quantifying this. I'm sure someone who is substantially smarter than me and actually understands game design better than me could tell you a better word here other than the method of gameplay. This feels like kind of an interface thing if I were to put a word onto it. There's a bit of UI stuff as well, but mostly interface design. Because the interface design of this game and the the mechanical design of this game is brilliant. Its core content sucks, though. (laughs) You see the problem? because because And this is how Black and White is superior to this one, again, to compare the two directly. Black and White had great content and bad interface design. This game has crap content and beautiful interface design. Can we just... Can we like, modders? Is that a thing? Keep, no? Really? That much? Okay, never mind. But you get the idea. I would love that. I would, I'm really hoping that we'll get some developments to have actually good content in the future. Let me name one example of something that is... And this is just such a minor thing, but it's so irritating. The X share just shares across your whole party. Mandatorily. Now, that's the problem. You can't turn it off. And there's so many reasons you'd want to. Maybe you want to be doing a low-level challenge. Maybe you don't want to be over-leveling everything. This game is already really easy, especially by Pokémon standards. I think the only one that's easier than this one is Oros. Uh, Omega Red, uh, Alpha Sapphire, which is way too easy of a game. Um, This is, yeah, so this is probably the second easiest Pokémon I've ever played. And it's just, constantly being overleveled doesn't help that. Being able to challenge yourself is something that probably should be in your toolkit, and just having a frickin' toggle to turn that off would have solved so much of this. But instead it's always on. Why? The encounter design is nowhere near as tight, the specific enemy design is kind of lackluster, and some of the move design is just whatever, and this is ignoring the whole removing the national decks thing, which... (sighs) So that's an extremely complicated topic while we're on the subject. I'm gonna give you a bit of a summary of that, if that's okay. I think it's a bad thing. Now. The most common counter-argument I hear to that is, oh, they can't keep adding new Pokemon forever, and you're right. But I don't think the solution is to just start arbitrarily axing previous Pokemon, especially since it was arbitrary. Remember, back in Black and White, what they did was they added brand new Pokemon, like 150-ish brand new Pokemon. And then once you got to the post-game, you could access all the previous Pokemon that exist. The National Decks opened up everything previous. So either in catching or interacting or trading, you could get your favorites and bring them in, right? And I mentioned how a New Game Plus would be awesome there. Here, it's... There's no national decks. I mean, there's the DLC decks, but let's ignore that for a moment. because So there's just the decks, right? And they have randomly picked random Pokémon from the previous seven generations to just sprinkle throughout the new ones. This is probably the worst possible thing they could have done for this setup. In my opinion, what they should have done is... Well, okay, what they... Okay, what I really think they should have done, we'll get to in a second. But if they were committed to this idea, they should have pulled the black and white trick, axe out all the old stuff, just have new Pokemon, and then you get to the DLCs, and then add it to the national decks. Shazam! Or, or you get to the post game, and that adds the national or the national decks, Sorry, that's what I meant. I, I was thinking the DLCs as post game, but I shouldn't because there's actually a post game before we get to the DLCs. So you get to post game, national decks done. That's what they should have done. Here's what I think they really should have done. Now, now there's several permutations of this, several different ways that this could come across. But the general idea is stop adding so many new Pokemon. Stop adding 70 Pokemon per game. Stop it. Stop it. Now, you're probably thinking, then why would anyone buy it? First of all, I think Pokemon makes plenty of money on its own. I don't think it really needs to add 150 new Pokemon to get new players to play it. But let's ignore that argument for a moment. There's still plenty of ways to add new stuff. Uh, We came up with several during this particular stream. First and foremost, new forms. The Weezing, right? It's The Galarian Weezing, or the Alolan Raichu. Add a variant on an existing Pokémon that is specific to this region. That's different in some way. Bam, there you go. It's not a new Pokemon. It's a variant on on an existing Pokemon, which not only makes it a lot easier and cheaper to do, but still gives them some variety to it. That's option one. Option two, do something that changes up the old Pokemon. Now, there's a lot of options here. We've already seen this with Mega Evolutions and Z-Moves, and in some cases with the Dynamaxing, which I'll talk about in a minute. You know, Gigantamaxing and the new Gigantamax moves, the G-Max moves, are a way to vary things up. But... There's also other things they could do. So, one of the ideas that was positive by one of my viewers, who's awesome, you know who you are if you're watching this, was maybe they should just axe the crap Pokemon. Now, there's a lot of problems with that, but the biggest one is how do you design the crap Pokemon? At that point, you're just arbitrarily picking again, right? A much better idea, I think, would be to take the the crap Pokemon and add something to them. Now, there's two options here. Actually, there's like 50 options. But there's two options I haven't already discussed. Option one is, give them a new evolution. So while this is technically adding new Pokemon, ultimately what you're doing is you're adding a new branch or a new fork to a previously existing one. And there are lots of older Pokemon that don't have evolutions that ones could be added to them. And there you go. So we're going to Arceus land, whatever. I guess that's Sinnoh. But, you know, you're going through Arceus in Sinnoh. It's like, okay, and then you encounter a, now oh, it's a really crap Pokemon, um, a Dunsparce, and it turns into Dunstab. I, this is a dumb idea, but I just came up with it around right the top of it. It gets a new evolution, and the new evolution gives it additional type and maybe some kind of ability that makes it more unique, and that changes it up, and there you go, bam, done. Now, that is technically a new Pokemon, but you can see, see how by branching off of and developing existing ones, That can flesh it out. Now, you're probably thinking, well, if you just add evolutions to old ones, that's a finite pool. And you're right. Adding new forms and adding new evolutions is kind of a finite pool thing. Eventually, you're going to run out of old Pokemon to touch on, which is why we also mess with their setup, change them around a bit in terms of their balance. Now, there's a lot of ways to do that. Abilities, uh, the nature of changing their types around. This is something they've done already, by the way. Changing uh, how their stats are distributed. You know, little things like that, but here's the biggest one and this is one that I think they should really lean into Start adding signature moves This is my personal favorite answer to the new Pokemon problem because it doesn't add any new Pokemon at all All it does is take existing Pokemon and add something new to them to make them new and different without actually adding a new Mon to the entry Let's go back to Dunspar or actually Love Disk is a perfect example here. Let's go back to Love Disk. Give Love Disk an, an, a signature ability that drastically reduces all five stats of a um, a same-gendered uh, Pokemon opponent, or drastically increases all five stats, or, or whatever, of a sa- of a opposite-gendered local, or something like that, right? I mean, maybe leave gender out of it. But point being, you can... <laughs> I just realized how that sounds. Point being, because I was thinking something like Charm is where that comes from. You can add a Signature move, and all of a sudden, Love Disk has a purpose. All of a sudden, Love Disk is something that's not a crap Pokemon, but instead is something that has a new moveset, which you can use and change about how it's going to be used in the meta, and blah, 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 right? And that's the big one. Now, there's something else they could do, and they I really can't believe they haven't done this so far. They keep playing with this idea, and it aggravates the hell out of me, because they need to go full hog with this, in my opinion. Really go into dual battles. Now, they've played around with other stuff. Triple battles are cool. I like triple battles. Rotation battles, those are cool. Um, but dual battles, I think, are really where it sits because dual battles suddenly open up a wonderful thing, and that thing is the possibility of combos. Adding the possibility of comboing abilities and Pokemon and items that are held and moves across more than one Pokemon, it, it, it more than increases the amount of tactical options exponentially. More than exponentially increases it. It's insane how much additional that adds, and tons and tons and tons of gamers, myself included admittedly, get into that kind of build gameplay. Where you know what I'm talking about, right? What kind of build you're going to use? Ah, uh, well, I was thinking of this talent and this talent, and that'll give me this ability, which I can use to grab this piece of armor, which also synchronizes and you know synergizing, right? And coming up with combos and coming up We've seen this since FF7 with the Materia system. Never mind, like, Magic the Gathering or Guild Wars 1 or whatever. There's dozens of examples of build gameplay. And Pokemon already has build gameplay. But adding combo battles, adding two man battles as, like, the main thing. So pretty much every battle is two battles. All of a sudden, that's something you have to take into account constantly. And and what's really funny is Pokemon already supports this. There's already tons of abilities that are junk or literally useless unless there's a second Pokemon in the combat that they're fighting alongside, unless they have a partner. But making that the norm suddenly makes those not only the kind of things that you pull out for the occasional dual battle or uh, dual tournament, but now it becomes something that you just have and you can build your team around. I think that would be awesome, and I think that... Plus, the signature move thing would be the best overall way to to deal with the Pokemon problem going forward. Keep the old decks, but change it up. Add mutators, right? Maybe a few new evolutions, maybe a few new forms, bunch of old new signature things, you know, something like that. And then that, there you go. The solution has been presented. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that would take time and money. Oh... <laughs> 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 uh. Try some more. Alright. So <clears throat> what they have the money. And they have the backing to have the time. And they have the money to have the time. So no sympathy. Dynamax. i so to talk about dynamaxing. Dynamaxing should be cool. And in many ways, from a if you look at it from a purely mechanical perspective, it's kind of neat. So you got your four team, your team of four up against a boss. The boss has tons of health and tons of stat boosters. Um, it's got uh unique abilities you can Dynamax once, but only briefly. The more you are knocked out, the more the, you get you get so many knockouts before it's over. You automatically respawn after a little bit after being knocked out. While you're knocked out, you can cheer and buff the rest of your team. Like there's just lots of little gameplay decisions that make sense there and are awesome, which run immediately into the gameplay decisions that are awful. This is just a trend for Sword and Shield, I swear. Because it takes so long. I talked about the seconds and minutes. This is the worst example of that in Sword and Shield. That's why I added that asterisk earlier. Because Dynamax battles take forever. Ignoring the fact that you can't turn off the animations, which take forever. There's also the fact that it's just everything has to be this one big spectacle. And so even a minor Dynamax battle against something you were curb stomping takes several minutes. And you want to, and the game encourages you, especially in the d l c s to do dozens of these battles over and over, never mind the fact that they will happen in almost every gym league fight or a gym leader fight too. so you know this is crap. it is something that could be great, and once again, the answer here is actually pretty easy. There are a lot of individual things they could do to smooth this out, like maybe get rid of the h p barrier problem but For those you are not aware, HP barrier is when a boss, this is almost always as a boss, can't go down a certain part of health until it does something. Usually like a cutscene or a special ability or whatever, but its health is locked at a certain value. So if you hit it, like let's say, made up numbers, let's say a boss has 100 health, and you hit it for 150, it'll take 30 damage and just sit there at 70 health, even though you hit it for more than enough to kill it plus some, because it has to do this little cutscene, right? Now, HP barriers can be used properly, but I tend to hate it as a concept, because generally speaking, if you can one-shot a boss, you probably should be allowed to, my opinion. And if it's a problem, then you should probably design your difficulty curve and your power progression curves better. Anyways. So get rid of the HP barriers, sure, but that's that's a quick and dirty fix. The real fix is make the animations play at the same time. Rather than slowly panning the camera and then having this person do this thing and then having the the health go down and having the reaction. Just have everyone's attacks basically happening all at the same time. Now, there are some things that would have to be solved for that, the camera being the biggest one, but there are ways to make that work. And it would more or less literally cut down the time of Dynamax battles by almost 70%-ish. That's obviously an estimate. This, this, This feels like such an easy solution. I cannot believe that this is the way it is. But, of course, I should move on. Um, I suppose I should talk about the, uh, the, the max raid area, which is awesome. That's in the Tundra DLC, specifically. That's pretty cool. Even though it's Dynamax battles over and over, which is really irritating, at least there's no HP barriers, so that's suddenly not a problem. And you, you t- team up with three other players. You get a random uh, rental Pokémon. You go, you go to an area, fight a new Pokemon. If you catch it, you can swap your existing Pokemon with the new one you just caught. And now you have the new one, and they, then you go on to the next thing. And you can encounter berries and, and people and all that until you get to the end where there's a legendary which you catch. It sounds simple, and that's because it is, but it's a great mix to the formula. And it's a lot of fun, and it's something I kind of wish I could do more of. Um, so that's a good use of the Dynamax thing. And the fact that they get rid of the HP barriers just makes it even more smooth. This is probably a good time to talk about, uh, I suppose, the Wild Areas. Now, this is theory, but this is theory that I am 100% convinced of. I think the Wild Areas were a prototype for the Isle of Armor, which is a prototype for Arceus, the game that, as of this recording, is not out yet and won't be out for over a year. The wild areas in the base Pokemon game were good, but also bad. I know, I keep saying that. What do you want from me? Life is nuanced, okay? Uh, there's, it's fun just roaming around and, and exploring, and that's where and you could see the Pokemon randomly on the field, and, you can, and each zone is specially, specially called across, and there's the Watts, a new currency, which you get by doing stuff around there. and I don't know, the whole thing was just kind of cool. Then Isle of Armor shows up, and is, is that but better every way. I spent, I think, a, the first five hours of our DLC stream was just me roaming the Isle of Armor, having fun. Five hours, a full stream block, just having fun. Not, not even advancing the plot at all, just, oh, what's that, and oh, what's that, and oh, was that a waylord? I should head over here and do this, and oh, what's this thing over here? I'm just enjoying the experience because it felt like they actually took the wild area idea and really polished it some more. The layout of the Isle of Armour is substantially superior to the Wild Area ar- area. Um, so the layout is substantially better designed. The rewards are better designed. The, the, the layout uh, in terms of item distribution is more interesting. The Pokemon distribution is more interesting. The scaling of it is better designed. And just uh, blah, 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 blah. The whole thing was better done visually, design-wise, and uh, reward-wise. All, every, every, every step of that loop was something that was superior. And I am hopeful, fingers crossed, that this will then be taken and either be as good or be improved over an Arceus. Now, the All of Armor didn't exactly have great story, and the uh, and the uh, Tundra had terrifying story. I, I mean, it stopped being a joke. Like I, Initially, I was joking about uh, Karalex, or whatever his name is, the, the legendary, who was mind-controlling Peony, To use him as a flesh puppet. And then... It stopped being a joke about halfway through. And it really was just... What is wrong with you? (laughs) It became part of the Pokemon's character arc. That he was starting to realize that he shouldn't... You know, that that he shouldn't look down on people. And shouldn't just use people against their will. By mind controlling them. (sighs) Anyways. (laughs) Just... What? Um... <clears throat> but uh so I talked about Dynamaxing, I talked about the good and the bad, I talked about the comparison of the core and the mechanic, I talked about the dual thing, which I really hope they have more dual combat in the future. The ability stuff, the armor, the Arceus beta thing. I think that's actually it. I think that's everything I had to discuss. I enjoyed this game probably more than I should. It's interesting, it really is legitimately interesting going directly from Pokemon Black and White into Pokemon Sword and Shield. I know this this video is probably going to get a lot of hackles because I've been very positive about a game that I know many people hate, but just the joy of playing it is is the easiest answer of why I can answer why. The story was just lighthearted, wonderful fluff, and the gameplay is so smooth, and the, 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 the mechanics and construct of the interface and the playstyle are marvelous. I, I can't... I can't describe it without going down into a full detailed list, and you don't want to... hear. that'll just get... Oh, so you see. One of the things you can do is, while you're in the menu, you can just hit the right mouth, Right button, right shoulder button, which immediately takes you to the save screen, which takes only a few seconds to save. And I could just give you a list of things like that to explain part of what I'm talking about. There's just all sorts of stuff like that. And I adore it, and I really wish that the core content had been good enough to make this into... My favorite Pokemon game, which it would be if it managed. Again, between these two, these are probably my favorites, just for completely separate reasons. Looking forward to all those comments. <laughs> oh, God. I'll see you next time.